The ICO has issued a point-by-point -point rebuttal of the media release, circulated by Uganda after they departed the organization. When the UCDA issued their statement, it lacked a lot of diplomacy and revealed some clearly deep-seated resentments. But why is Uganda so upset, and is it justified? It's not unusual for an amount of fogginess to prevail over commercial disputes, often attributed to poor communication. It is interesting, therefore, to note that the ICO so completely refutes the statement from the UCDA that there is no miscommunication here. It appears that one party must simply be wrong. Let's look at the statement from the UCDA. In the second paragraph it states, Uganda has raised key issues that the agreement has not addressed including the following. They then list seven grievances. The first two of which are of particular interest. Barriers to trade, imposed through high tariffs on processed coffee by developed and importing countries which disadvantage producer countries like Uganda, resulting in farmers getting low prices. Promotion of value addition. Uganda needs unconditional market access that allows for export of value-added coffee, not only green coffee. The ICA should have increased focus on value addition, with protracted programs that aim at transferring value to the farm gate prices. The UCDA says clearly that they expect the ICO to address these issues. Bear in mind that while the ICO seems to do a lot in areas such as promotion, education, development projects and more, they have no power to set tariffs. In responding to these first two points, the ICO say these objectives are addressed under Article 24, Removal of Obstacles to Trade and Consumption. I spent some time to read the ICA 2007, which isn't that hard once you get past a lot of preamble. What it conveyed to me was that the document forms a contract of partnership between the members. It is not a one-sided commitment of the ICO to perform, but a framework for collaboration to monitor and report on. This lays the groundwork for the organization to assist in influencing policy by representing the industry to policymakers with a single voice. An example of this is in a report that the ICO carried out in 2019, where they require countries to report tariff changes so they can monitor potential obstacles to trade. This is what it says. In accordance with Article 24 of the ICA 2007 and the Rules on Statistics, Statistical Reports, ICC 102-10, members are required to notify the organization of any changes to taxes and duties on coffee. Information on changes in non-tariff barriers, especially SPS and TBTs, are regularly reported to the WTO and will be integrated in ICO reports. Article 24 lays out a number of commitments that each member should make to stimulate coffee consumption through lowering barriers to trade, including tariffs. Specifically in relation to the unequal treatment of value-added services, by importing countries over developing producing countries, the ICO raises Article 26 of the agreement as well. This is what Article 26 says. Members recognize the need of developing countries to broaden the base of their economies through, inter alia, industrialization and the export of manufactured products, including the processing of coffee and the export of processed coffee. Members should avoid the adoption of governmental measures which could cause disruption to the coffee sector of other members. Uganda has said the ICO is supporting a system that is resulting in unfair treatment of producing countries by imposing tariffs. 
So we imagine that Uganda, which has been a member of the ICO from 2009, has voiced their concerns or tabled alternative proposals? Not according to the ICO. In their rebuttal, they repeatedly make the point that Uganda has not been engaged with the process at all. In their statement, the ICO is unambiguous. Uganda has made no proposals for the revision of Article 26 in the meetings of the WGFA, which is currently studying proposals for amendment to this article. If the ICO is correct, then I'm not clear what Uganda's cause for complaint might be, but this should be easy to check. Uganda should immediately request copies of the minutes of meetings where they have raised the issues previously. If they have written letters to the ICO on the subject, they should publish those so we can see the efficacy of their argument. Point by point, the ICO refutes the allegations made against them. When we first reported the dispute, we considered data that was presented as factual from the UCDA, a government organization to be prima facie. Now that has to be questioned. The UCDA issued a statement, in which one reason for leaving the organization was that the ICO has done nothing to abate punitive tariffs against Uganda. Around the same time a senior agriculture advisor to the president of Uganda wrote an article claiming tariffs which the EU applied to roasted coffee amounted to economic colonialism. These statements turned out to be provably incorrect. Having told the ICO publicly that they were leaving the organization because it was not fit for purpose, the UCDA went on to say that they wanted to come back. But under better terms. The government of Uganda will continue to engage with the International Coffee Organization, ICO, to negotiate better terms. This must be some kind of new negotiating strategy that is too advanced for me to understand. While we wait for their cunning plan to insult their way to a better deal, we look forward to seeing Uganda produce the evidence to support their claims. The ICO keeps the door open, as they should, by choosing an African maxim. All ICO members, as indicated on different occasions, would have welcomed the contributions of Uganda to the WGFA, however, as an old African proverb says, you cannot claim your share of the meal while you are not at the dinner table. A new initiative was launched to boost Jamaica's coffee exports to the European Union. The event took place on the 27th of January to launch a joint project by the Government of Jamaica and the Caribbean Export Development Agency, Caribbean Export. Currently, the EU makes up 10% of Jamaica's coffee exports. Minister for Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade, Kamina Johnson-Smith stated. Europe, with its large consumer base and approximately 450 million people, poses strong prospects as a new and important coffee export market for Jamaica. The data indicates that Europe accounts for 33% of global coffee consumption in 2021, which is approximately 3.24 million tons of coffee in that market. According to Jamaica's coffee exporters and their EU counterparts, the lack of marketing intelligence and penetration strategies hindered the expansion to Europe. In response, Caribbean Export proposed a two-phase approach. In the first phase, consultants Windward Commodities will study the EU coffee market, including analyzing market penetration strategies by other major coffee suppliers and the market entry requirements. The second phase will focus on developing a targeted penetration strategy to boost the presence of local coffee brands like Blue Mountain, 
and Jamaica High Mountain in the region. Executive Director of Caribbean Export Diedet Maharaj stated, Our goal is to assist in creating an evidence-based strategy for positioning Jamaican coffee in the European market which, when executed, will connect with new consumers and create a memorable experience while sharing the story behind the product and strengthening the unique brand identity of Jamaican coffee and Jamaica as a whole. American department store chain Target will begin to offer Starbucks products for its curbside pickup offering later this year, with testing in two cities to begin in summer. Target's drive-up service allows customers to shop for coffee online through the Target app and pick up their items at Target locations without leaving their car. Now, when the customer arrives at the store, a Target employee will deliver the order to the vehicle. Customers who choose the pickup service will be able to place a Starbucks order through the Target app. They can then indicate that they're on their way so that the coffee is fresh when they arrive. According to Target, this has been a top request from customers. Target has a long-standing licensing partnership with the coffee giant that grants them a license to offer Starbucks drinks, as well as allowing the coffee chain to set up branded coffee shops within Target stores. The cities where test projects are set to commence in summer include Target's hometown Minneapolis while the other city has yet to be chosen. On top of that, the option to make returns through the drive-up service will also be available later this year. These enhancements are part of Target's strategy of using their locations as fulfillment hubs. Currently, the company is focusing its efforts on enhancing its same-day services through what it calls its easy, differentiated shopping experience. Japan's coffee chains are among the many global businesses affected by the pandemic. Numerous outlets have been shut down due to the change in lifestyles of the people, on top of the surging worldwide coffee prices. According to Shuken Jitsuwa, a Japanese weekly tabloid magazine, on the 24th of February, the total number of outlet closures in 2021 reached 100 for the very first time. The number represents a 26.5% increase, year-on-year. The change in lifestyle is the primary reason for these closures, based on a quote by a business consultant. People in Japan used to use coffee shops for business discussions, or to take away the time between meetings, to study, or for use by the so-called nomads, who perform jobs away from their offices. As the pandemic required people to work from home, a large part of the customer base for the coffee shops evaporated, leading many to close. On top of that, global coffee prices have been rising due to the production drop in Brazil, caused by unfavorable weather conditions, combined with a surge in demand for coffee in the US and Europe. A source at a trading firm predicts that the price of coffee beans may double or triple this year. This price increase adds more pressure to already affected small and medium-sized businesses, like Tokyo-based Nippon Restaurant System Incorporated. The company, which runs the coffee chain Dutur, reported a loss of 921 million yen, approximately 7.97 million US dollars, in the period of March to November last year. Another local coffee chain St. Mark Cafe, reported a 2.79 billion yen loss, approximately 24.1 million US dollars, in the period of April to November last year.
Japanese coffee chains will likely have to adopt new marketing strategies and find ways to attract a new customer base if they are to survive. Prices for Kenyan coffee dropped last week at the Nairobi Coffee Exchange by a significant margin, sending a worrying signal to farmers about potential earnings. The price of a 50 kilograms bag dropped from 36,160 shillings or $317.61 to 32,996 shillings or $289.82. The highest grade of coffee, rated AA, was being sold at 38,759 shillings or $340.44, down from 40,906 shillings or $359.30, per 50 kilograms bag. The lower grade, AB, dropped to 32,996 shillings or $289.82, from 37,177 shillings or $326.54. The battle for unionization at Starbucks has now been brought to the doorstep of the Seattle giant. Despite the company's attempts to stifle the movement, it is gaining momentum. There will be a unionization vote by Starbucks Corporation workers at a store in Seattle, a move giving the labor group, that recently defeated the company in landmark elections in New York, a chance to extend its new foothold to the coffee giant's hometown. Previous tactics from the company included some questionable actions, as we reported in the past. For the moment, it is unknown if the company has abandoned that approach, or if not, how they are now communicating the case for non-unionization to their employees. A ballot should be mailed to each employee on February 25, the Seattle Regional Director of the National Labor Relations Board ordered earlier, rejecting the company's argument that a store-by-store -store vote is inappropriate. As in Seattle, the company argued that any vote should include the combined workforce of more stores, meaning that in order to win, the union would need more votes. However, labor board officials found that there wasn't enough evidence to depart from the agency's usual presumption that a single workplace's employees form a sufficiently large group to vote. <laughs> <laughs>